We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone. Welcome to the future award-winning Talk Buffalo podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks for locking in today. If you haven't yet subscribed, please go to do that right now. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, whatever podcasting platform that you listen on. And when you turn those notifications on, new episodes will get sent right to your phone or device literally as soon as they are published. Happy Tuesday. This is going to be the first of actually a two-parter here. And obviously, we're covering the NFL draft. And I'll, I'll tell you what. I spoke with a lot of people, but it was only fitting that I had Aaron Quinn from Cover On with me. From Cover One, I should say. Because if for no other reason, we did six mock drafts together. He's a Cover One guy, but I kind of borrowed him, at least occasionally, during this draft season. So he's been my guy through the entire process. He knows what I've been thinking better than anyone else and kind of vice versa. So I wanted to make sure that I had him back for this as well. Then I'll let him take a little mini Talk Buffalo podcast vacation, but not today. He's back again. My man, Aaron Quinn. What's up, buddy? What's happening, brother? I was going to say, man, I might have to find a spot in your graphic with a featuring Aaron Quinn uh, title. I don't know. It would probably hurt your podcast listens, if anything, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you having me back on so we could kind of close you know, this process that we've been through together and, and kind of put some finality to it before we get into OTAs and all that stuff. Well, I'll tell you, it, it's been fun. And for people listening, let me just say a couple of things here at the top. We are taping this late Sunday night. This is part one and it's dropping Tuesday and part two will drop on Wednesday. Everything we discuss is as of now, late Sunday night. I say that because I'm sure we're going to talk about cornerback and who knows, maybe by the time people are listening, the bills go out and they make a move and they Richard trade. will be a bill. Maybe sure. Could happen. Nelson Hayward. There, there, there's sure. guys out there's there names. for sure. Yeah. There's definitely some names out there, some notable names. So there's a, a, at least a chance that by the time you hear this, the bills can make a move there. And then of course, Monday at 4 PM, um, the fifth year option decisions are due on Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. Josh Allen's out, obviously, a no-brainer. Maybe not quite the slam dunk for Edmonds, although I expect that. But anyway, my point was, we're talking about this on Sunday. And one other thing, too, and I I got this, I want to say this right at the top, because I know how important time is as a father, as a person who, you know, you have a family, and 
I just wanted to say, I really appreciate you doing this literally every week. This is now seven weeks in a row. And I know that doesn't sound to some people like that big of a deal, but to carve out 60 to 90 minutes every week when you got two little rugrats running around your house, you know what I mean? And fatherly duties and all kinds of other responsibilities and stuff that doesn't, uh, that doesn't go lost on me. So before we even talk about football, I sincerely want to thank you because not only have you been gracious with your time to me, but I've also kind of pointed out each episode, like what we're going to do and what vision I had for each mock draft. And some would have trades, some would do this, some would do that. And you've always been cool and kind of just roll with the flow. So first and foremost, man, I really do sincerely want to thank you for carving out so much time for me with this podcast over the last few months. Dude, I appreciate it. I love having coming on this show. I don't do a lot of other pods and stuff, and I don't want to sound like an asshole or anything, but you're right. Like I have some time constraints uh, at times, but I, honestly, I, I really just like chilling with my wife. Like she's pretty cool. I like just hanging out, watching Netflix and stuff, but I enjoy your show every time, whether it's the bills talk or talking about R and B vocalists, like it's just good. Con- <laughs> I think you're one of the best conversationalists in the game and it's easy to come on here and just chat it up with you. It doesn't feel like work at all. So I appreciate you having me on. Man. Well, I'll tell you what, like over the summer, I mean, obviously you're not going to be on every week, but you'll be on from time to time. You always are. And I look forward to some of those conversations over the summer that aren't just about the bills. We got to do male vocalists next, R&B we, male We do, and I'm starting to get into this thing on Twitter where I do Pat's power rankings, and I just list the top 10 of every... Like tonight, Sunday, I, I did the top 10 uh, Huey Lewis and the News songs. I did Journey songs a couple of days ago. I've done Leonardo DiCaprio movies. I just, you know me, man, and I know you kind of like doing this too. I just love listing shit. I love power rankings, so... I try to come up. I got to check out that Huey Lewis. One quick note. Yeah. I think uh, some young, maybe younger listeners. I think people don't realize how many hits Huey Lewis in the news have. Like if you go to Spotify right now and type in Huey Lewis in the news and hit a playlist, you'll be jamming for sure. like an hour straight. Absolutely, man. I'll tell you. And again, I mean, this is not uh, suddenly a Bill's draft podcast has already turned into Huey <laughs> Lewis in the like news. Power you, Only when Pat and Aaron get together does stuff like this happen. But yeah, man, I... Real quick here. So I got the harder rock and roll. Do you believe in love? I want a new drug. The power of love. If this is it, hip to be square, heart and soul, back in time, stuck with you and working for a living. That's 10 songs right off the bat. And there's, <laughs> bang, bang, bang. there's Jacob's ladder. There's a, uh, there, there's a couple other ones that I, I forget off the top of my head. So yeah, man, you put on a list of his songs or that group's songs and you're going to be a uh, rock and you'll be in a while. good mood. Yes. That's most important. You're going to be in a good mood for an hour. Huey, Huey Lewis in the news, they represent that feel-good era to me of that of that genre of the 80s. It's just, it felt good to listen to that pop rock music for sure. Yep, absolutely. Right, so now this draft, the whole season to me, it always feels like, and I feel the same way every time right after the draft. It's like a wedding, man. It's like you spend so much time going over every intimate detail. Like at a wedding, the the seating charts, the invite list, uh, the, the specific music you want for the DJ, the dinner menu. You know what I'm saying? It's just planning. It goes on and on and on. And you spend so much time doing it. And then your wedding day comes and you're married. You know this. In the blink of an eye, it's gone. I kind of feel like that's draft season. You spend so much time studying. And in some cases, watching tape, not always, but if not watching tape, at least reading the thoughts and opinions of experts out there and, you know, watching highlights and doing your own mock drafts and looking at other people's mock drafts and learning about these players, whichever method you go about doing it. You spend all these times, weeks, and even months, and then, bam, it's gone. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you feel that wedding comparison a little bit? Yeah, except there's 
this sort of worse feeling because it almost never goes according to plan. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know about your wedding. My wedding went according to plan. Like we did all that planning. Yeah, my you're right. Blew by. But every single year I get a gut punch from all this work that we've done and these conversations we've had and dissecting press conferences and doing all this stuff. The draft rolls around, especially now that the bills are picking later. It's even more of a crapshoot, but everything I talked about was totally wrong. All the guys that I fell in love with, totally not in what the Bills were interested in. Uh, so it's always a gut punch, and I never learn. Joe Marino says it all the time. Don't get married to these prospects. It's hard. You find guys. You're arguing on Twitter. You sort of just cave into these guys, and it's almost always disappointing that your team never gets that guy for you. Uh, so I, we continue to do it every year, though. We must be a little. It must be the masochist Bills fan in us that continues to just jump into draft season every single year. Every year, without fail, right after the draft, because nobody's mock drafts turn out to be good. Because it yeah. only takes one or two surprise moves. That's like it. say nobody on earth had the Raiders taken Leatherwood with the 17th pick. Just for one example. Do you know what I mean? There's always right. a couple trade-ups. There's always a couple There's picks a few, yeah, in the first that, round. They that just weird. completely screw up any mock. I don't care who you are. So without fail, every year people will say, what a waste of time it is with mock drafts. But I'm going to defend them like I do every year, man. I'll, I'll tell you. It's not the picks and how many you get right or how many you get wrong for me. It's about the process of, of what we do. Like for an example, that exercise that we did for six consecutive Wednesdays on this podcast, I think it gives you insight. I think you spend a lot of time learning and, and studying these players. And again, maybe that's watching tape. Maybe that's reading up on them on other media outlets. Um, so I think the payoff is, well, there's a couple of payoffs. I think that the biggest one is this. When it gets to be that, like even the casual fan knows the biggest names. Like I would say the casual fan doesn't care about the draft until it gets close. And then they start to read up or, or look at people's mock drafts like ours. Draft and, uh, guides, mock Yeah, draft, draft right. guides, stuff like that. And they know a handful of guys and, you know, who the Bills might take in the first round. But I think the payoff for, like, the work that we put in on a personal level, I think when those second and third or even fourth rounds, to some extent, when they come around and you hear these guys' names and you know a lot about the player that you wouldn't know anything about if you didn't put in the time. So, I would sure. argue that I still like the concept of doing mock drafts because A, I mean, as a, you're a content creator, so you know this, it makes good debate. It makes good conversations. It's good totally. water cooler stuff. And also, I, I personally, for me anyway, it's educational. I feel like to some extent, although we were wrong about cornerback and we'll talk about that dead wrong, um, I feel like you kind of get insight. You kind of, you, you learn what the Bills are going to do, even if they throw you a curveball, kind of like, they did this year, which maybe we should have saw that coming better. But I, my point is, I'll defend them, you know? Yeah, I think you bring up a great point that I would definitely concede that the act of doing mocks in general, whether there's accuracy to the where players are going to get taken, right? Like we saw a ton of guys in the fifth round going that were available to us throughout mocks in the sixth, seventh round, easy. Uh, and, and they were just running in the fifth. So there's it's not an accurate model, but I do agree with you that just taking those names and having those conversations on this podcast and having those conversations on Twitter does force you to retain a little bit of information. Go look at some of these prospects that are continually available in the mocks and Hey, should I take a second look at this guy? Cause he's always there. Maybe it's a, a interest of the bills. That stuff also does. I will continue to concede that comes in handy down the road, right? Like not most of these guys aren't going to stick on these teams. These are going to be players in the league for a while. 
people will be able to retain like, Hey, I like this guy back in the 2020, you know, in the mock drafts, I kept taking him to the bills. Let me see what happened to him, why it's changed, but you already have a foundational base going into it that, you know, this guy. So it's good to learn the players that are going to be in the NFL. Uh, And I do think the act of mocks and all that stuff helps. My problem is, and I am a culprit of this is, taking all that information that you got and the sort of buying into your own analysis of this is how it's going to go. This is what these, these are these targets in this range. That stuff's almost never accurate when we actually get to draft, right. but you know who the guys are. so I'll, I'll give it to you. You do know it helps you to build the knowledge of who's in this upcoming draft. Yeah. So we did six mock drafts and we changed it up. Like the first couple were, we just kept the picks. Um, we did one. I know where we, traded up we did, had one of the six mocks we ended up trading up in the first round and then two other dry, uh, mocks we ended up trading up but not in the first round i think in the second or and then i know we did it again in the fourth round on our last one anyway from those six mocks i went back and looked at them there were only two picks <laughs> ended up having that ended up with the buffalo bills and they were both early picks um one of them was in our second mock draft We had Carlos Basham Jr. going to the Bills at pick 61 in round two. So that one we actually hit on, and that's exactly how it played out. He was their pick. They stayed at 61. And then the other one that we got correct was Gregory. That was that weird draft. That was the one we got Tony Um, round one. I'm not sure if that's the same one or not. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I think that was the one we hated. It was. You know what? It was, but it wasn't Tony. We ended up taking Eric Stokes. In that Stokes. one, and we didn't like yeah. that at the time, yeah, which I it turned out like that. that it went to, you know, he got picked in reality one pick before at Green Bay. Um, so we got Basham on our second mock, and then in our third mock, we actually had Gregory Rizzo to the Bills. However, we didn't take him in the first round, we took him in the second round. We traded up 10 spots from 61 to 51 to get him. So neither of us had him as a first, which again, obviously. That doesn't matter. It only matters what the Brandon Bean and the Bills brass thought, but that was our thought anyway. So those were the only two guys. What's your general thoughts right now about this draft as a whole? And we'll dig into at least a couple of these guys anyway, specifically in a minute, because mine was this, and I've used this phrase multiple times over the last couple of days. It's underwhelming, but practical. And it's obvious this draft was geared more towards the future and also, not just the future, but with the salary cap in mind, for sure. The moves like Brown in the third round or in both defensive ends, Caponomics definitely in the future had something to play with it or something to do with it, I should say. But anyway, before we talk about some players, just give me one or two of your uh, your overall thoughts. Now that you've had a couple of days to digest it, because I talked to you over the weekend, by the way, on Twitter. I was sending you DMs and I was pissed off at the time. I've calmed down. I'm... Taking a sure. much more subtle, practical <laughs> you approach. You sound it already, yeah. I was irritated. I was irritated as hell with a couple of those picks. But uh, anyway, let, I'm going to give you the floor. Like, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I. So at first, when you were messaging me, I wasn't mad at all. Uh, I was a little confused, right? And I think some of that came from my own again analysis and maybe buying into the hype of Twitter. You know, we I think we all collectively assumed cornerback was the primary target with that pick. And maybe it still was maybe like a Newsom was their guy and they were trying to get up there. We don't know that, but having stayed there and seeing what was available, there were still corners available that I would have liked to take. 
Um, so I was a little confused by the first pick. I'm not going to lie. And especially there's other guys on the board still. I liked uh, Uwa a little bit more than Rousseau. I liked uh, Tryon a little bit better. Maybe that was me buying into the whole draft Twitter uh, analysis. Uh, clearly the Bills didn't. It started a run on edges. So I, I do think that it made sense. If whoever was your guy, take that guy there because it did start a run. We saw that happen a number of times in our mock drafts where it was a little earlier, but once those edges started running, yeah, that was it. You're going to miss out on those guys. So they found their guy. They targeted a guy. They say he's the best on their board. We hear that every year from GMs though. Every, every team got the best guy on their board. Uh, so I don't know. And then to follow it up, Again, uh, with an edge, that was weird. And the back-to-back tackles, that was weird. Again, I was pounding the table on this podcast that two things. I didn't need 2021 contribution from this draft class. I've said that this entire time. Yep. And uh, that we didn't have a ton of needs, right? Like the floors across uh, all these positions, I'm okay with. And that included cornerback, even though I think it, that it's worthy of getting other guys. So, you know, if I'm going to listen to myself, I should be okay with this draft, right? Like if I don't need these guys to participate right away and I don't believe that there was any total glaring position, like we have starters returning guys that have played in the NFL guys have had success with this team are all returning to play and started their position. So that's okay. So with that in mind, I started to cool off a little bit and say, okay, well, this is really, like you said, Brandon beans building for the future. This is a developmental draft. Some of these guys will probably play in 2021, but we're really looking and they always say, you know, uh, you project out a class three years later. This is if there's ever a class that the bills have had that you're going to project out three years later, that's it. I don't want to see any grades on this class right now. Cause it's all going to be D's C's. Like it doesn't seem like it makes sense for the next season. People are going to get lost in next season when they're trying to grade right now. Let's take a look at this class in a few years. I'm excited about the potential development of this class because there are some key pieces coming up safety we talked about that a number of times that it's even if it's not the guy that we were targeting you you probably got to grab one of these guys and try to develop them because jordan Poirier and micah Hyatt ain't gonna last forever jaquan johnson hasn't stepped up to be that guy yet and maybe this will push him to do it sooner who knows but you need a guy to get in your system and develop him uh and same with some of these other positions they got so i'm i'm happy that they've got young guys and it looks like they took a chance on not so much college production. Boogie Basham is probably the one that stands out that had some production and isn't so much a traits guy. The rest of them, it's all traits, right? You're gambling on these guys are super big, super long or superior athletes at their position, have some big time speed, some type of trait like that. And you're gambling that we can get them into our coaches. We can get them with Eric Washington and Bobby Johnson over the next two to three years, develop these guys into legitimate starters, swing players. And that's how Brandon Bean's got to fill this roster going forward, man, is, is through the draft because this team's only going to get more and more expensive. So overall, I'm, I'm excited about the future. I don't think if you were going to ask me to grade it today, it would be a meh, meh. I don't know, like kind of middle of the road. We'll see in a few years. I'm excited to see if the staff can develop these players because there's, there's some cool traits that we can talk about when we get into the individual guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You said that word traits and the word trait really sticks out to me. These, they continue to take a lot of guys who have skill, but haven't like, it seems like they haven't reached their peak yet. Josh Allen was one of them, obviously coming out of college. I think Tremaine Edmonds was, I think Ed Oliver was, I, I think Dawson Knox still is to some extent, Cody Ford to, to some extent. And, and, and now you got guys like uh, Rizzo and, and Spencer, who will Spencer Long, which will or Spencer Brown, which we'll talk about in uh in the third round that they that they took. Are you surprised that they they went there? Uh, let me let me take that back. Let me ask you this: How much confidence do you think Brandon Bean is putting right now on positional coaches? Because I mean, Sean McDermott gets all the headlines, and he should. He's the head coach, and Leslie Frazier, the coordinator. But I look at two coaches specifically right now, and that's Eric Washington on the defensive line and Bobby Johnson. I feel like they're really on the spot because they're being tasked with taking guys who, you know, test well, have great athletic traits, but haven't really, except for Bashan, like you kind of mentioned, haven't done all that much over at least a sustained period of time in college. It's a lot to put on these positional coaches. To me, that shows a hell of a lot of confidence Brandon Bean has in uh in these two guys. Yeah, I totally agree. I tweeted out this morning. That was one of the, you know, I was kind of having my coffee, reading a book this morning and taking in the draft. And that was really the thing I kept coming back to is Bobby Johnson, Eric Washington, just they got their hands full now. Cause it's not just this draft, right? He's Bobby Johnson still got Cody Ford project in development, right? You just got Forrest Lamp, a uh, developmental guy who's still young. He's got to do something with him or he's not going to last. You've got some of these guys in the system already that need development. And now you're adding a huge, a couple of pretty big projects into that rotation. Um, and, and that's going to be difficult for him. A third rounder is no joke, right? Like we talk about first rounders having to come in and produce, but you by that year three, you want that third rounder to have developed when you draft an offensive lineman in the third round. Like there's a future for him on this team that they see. So that's a lot of pressure on him. I'm not sure how good Bobby Johnson is at developing talent. So this is a big test because Cody Ford hasn't really taken a step in any direction and they didn't really know what to do with him. Uh, Deion Dawkins has developed, but I think he was on a path of development anyway. I don't know if that's a Bobby Johnson thing or not. So I'm interested to see uh, he was highly regarded as an offensive line coach when they brought him in. So I'm interested to see if they're going to be able to develop some of this young talent. It's, it's a big task to ask. And then Eric Washington, I think, He's got a better resume, right? Like he's developed some talent in Carolina. I think Harrison Phillips had a nice second half to the season here this season. So there was some development there. Uh, Ed Oliver hasn't fully developed, but I think we blame that somewhat on position. But there's still young guys that he's got too. And now he's got, and again, 
another big project with Rousseau, at least everybody's saying that's going to be a big project to turn him into an NFL pass rusher, interior pass rusher. So lots of work for these guys. I think it speaks to the confidence in them, but to me, those guys are on blast because they're that success of this draft class is going to be directly related to how they're able to develop these players. And the proof is in the pudding, right? So th- this might be their last chance to stick to this Buffalo Bills coaching staff if they don't get these guys developed here in the next couple of years, really. Rizzo, all right, so let's start with him. If you would have told, I would not have been surprised if you would have told me at 7.59 p.m. Thursday night, one minute before the draft started, that Gregory Rizzo was going to be the Bills pick at 30. It wouldn't shock me. By the way, props, Marcel Louis Jacques from ESPN, he did call him on the ESPN Nation mock draft. And I think Ashley Holder from Channel 2 also had him in her mock draft. Those are the only two people that I know anyway that mocked him. So props to them. But anyway, it, it would have surprised me at, at that time. But I would have thought that if they took him, that would have meant that Jalen Phillips, Quiddy Pay, um, Ozulari, which was kind of shocking to me a little bit anyway, Jason Owa, I thought all those guys would have been gone. Maybe Joe Tyron and maybe Peyton Turner as well. As it turns out, only three defensive ends were taken before Brazil. Um, Pay, Phillips first, and Pay, and, and Peyton Turner went a couple of picks before that. So I was surprised that they took him over Ozilari and, and Jason Oa. That, uh, yeah. that, that's what, that to me was a surprising part. I, like you, thought corner was very much in play, and maybe it still was. Before we get to before we talk about him specifically, I think there's two guys that I really wish they would have been on the board because I wanted to see what would have happened. One of them's obvious, and that's Travis Etienne. He ended up going 25 to Jacksonville. Did not see that coming whatsoever. Um, and then the other guy, which pissed me off, was Newsom. I was big mad that he got to 26. I was yelling at my television. When it got to Jacksonville at 25, I was, because we traded with Jacksonville. If you remember our mock drafts, we said 25 was the spot to move up. And that's right. where you could have got ATN or Newsom. I was literally yelling at my TV for the Bills to trade up. They didn't. And those next two picks went ATN and Newsom. Do you think that the Bills would have taken one of them? Or do you think that Brandon Bean really had this plan to get younger and cheaper at edge rush? And even if all of them would have been there, he still probably would have went with Rizzo anyway. This would have been tough for me because even him saying Rousseau is their number one player on their board at 30, like I believe, I believe him. He hasn't lied that I could find yet. So whatever. I don't agree. I'm not an expert, uh, but he wasn't the number one player on my board available. And definitely not if Newsom and even Peyton Turner or Travis Etienne were on the board there. All three of those guys are guys that I would have had over them. And I have to think that Brendan Bean knows you know, he's been trying to replace Levi Wallace for a couple of years. I think they like Dane Jackson and have confidence in Dane Jackson, but I also think they know what they invested in Dane Jackson and that that's not the type of investment you don't go get somebody. I think we talked about it. I think they'll get a veteran cornerback like they've done every year to continue to p- compete for that spot. So it's not like that's a lock that they like Jackson and Levi Wallace. So you have to think that that position's in play. And I would think from what I saw of Newsom, in his game and his skill set and what it would have provided the bills that if he was on the board, I have to think he's the the top rated player there and the needs still there too. So I, if he's there, I think, I think Brandon Bean was getting real excited when he was still on the board 
coming through that gauntlet. All these mock drafts, though, there was no every time we got to that 21 to 29, I just kept saying there's no way like he Farley like these guys aren't going to make it through here. If it's not Cleveland, uh, who was right after Cleveland? It was uh, New Um, Orleans, I think. um, (laughs) Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore is going to love to lock up on corners all day. New Orleans Saints need a corner. Like, you know, I mean, Packers were have been in the mix of it was just a matter of time before knowing that he was going to be off the board, but he went longer than I thought. I was definitely getting excited that he was sitting on the board and, uh, but Rousseau's the pick. I don't know. I mean, he's got a little bit of mix, right? He has some production in, in the one year that we really saw that scares me. One year of production doesn't that stuff terrifies me. I'm not going to lie. That was one of my issues with Farley. And then he had the the flags of medical stuff. So you match one year with production with injury. Eh. Rousseau doesn't have the injury, right? He just sat out for, for COVID. I respect his reasoning for sitting out. I bet actually, if he came back and played, it probably would have hurt him. He wasn't going to get 15 sacks again. He wasn't going to put up the type of production in back-to-back years. He might've put some better tape out there, gained weight or whatever. So either way, I think it's an interesting fit. I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with him. We heard the Clayus Campbell uh, comps. I think those are really interesting to me. I don't know that he'll ever be that caliber of player, but that type of big bodied guy put weight on this kid over the next year or two and really fill out that frame. He's got an impressive frame and there's totally room to grow. He's just a kid. Yeah. Uh, and so if you can fill that out a little bit, you look at Clayus Campbell, when he first came out, he had kind of had that same frame out of Miami. So I see the comps. Yeah, if you could kick him inside and, and get some of that pressure on the quarterback from the inside, we saw what the Chiefs were able to do with Chris Jones game, bringing in pressure from the interior offensive line. If we can do that type of thing to Patrick Mahomes, some of the better quarterbacks around the league, that's something the Bills really haven't been able to generate it's interior pressure. Jerry Hughes has had no problem getting pressure on the outside. It's guys that are uh, you know, coming up, getting the additional pressure. Somebody tried knocking Russo, PFF tried knocking him. They these idiots over at PFF, they clump uh what is it? They clump um n- not blocked sacks with pursuit sacks and like basically assisted cleanup sacks. So they clump all those three things together to come up with this stupid grade, which unblocked sacks should be its own thing. Like if you go unblocked and you get a sack, I'm not going to give you a ton of credit for it. Good good thing you did your job. But that shouldn't be in the same category as uh pursuit sacks because that's putting in where like if a guy's running and you're pursuing him that's a real thing patrick mahomes is running out of the pocket if you're going to sack him you need to pursue him and then the cleanup sacks i think this is a really important one and that's why i'm bringing this up jerry hughes for the last three years has gotten a plenty of qb pressures and you know what the bills haven't been able to clean up those sacks right he gets a guy off his spot Patrick Mahomes just takes off into the hole in the pocket. Nobody has that length. Nobody's been able to generate any type of pressure to come in and clean up the pressure that guys are getting. We saw last year, I think people were confused that how did the Bills have this pass rush win success rate in all these, uh, you know, PFF graded pressure statistics, but they never were hitting home. Well, the problem is, is when you create the pressures, nobody's pursuing the quarterback or cleaning up those sacks. So they were trying to knock Rousseau with that. And I actually think it's a benefit to the bills. I think that length 
in there and his ability to get some pressure. If Jerry Hughes is kick somebody up into the pocket, he's got that length to come off a guy and clean up that sack. That's a beautiful thing. And that I think the bills need, and I think an area that Ed Oliver really needs to step up as well in his game. So they were trying to knock him for some of that type of stuff. I don't see it. I, I think over time, this could get or become a really interesting fit that allows them to do some really unique fronts. I just don't know. I don't think we're going to see a ton of it translate to 2021. Let me tell you my honest opinion and what I like and what I don't like about this pick specifically. Part of it that I don't like, and this is a flaw of mine. It's, it's a problem is I want, and I'm like this in life. I want instant gratification. I want a guy who's going to come in and, and, and wreck shit as a rookie. That's not going to happen with this guy. And that's okay. I mean, you just explained why perfectly. I'm just, I'm that guy. I want, some, that's why I wanted a Travis ATN. That's why I wanted Greg Newsom the second. Greg Newsom the second is your day. He's your second one started. Before, before Roger Goodell was done saying his last name, he's your starting CB2 if you get him. And anyway, I'm going to get off that train because I get angry every time I think about Newsom. Not, I think ATN was, uh, to some extent, a smokescreen. I think if the board would have played out where, like, Rajol would have been gone because the Bills liked him and Newsom and maybe another pass rusher they liked, like Tyron or someone was also gone and it was Travis ATN and someone else that they maybe they would have taken him. I don't know. Who, who, who knows? Anyway, I don't want to get off track here. But anyway, th- that's what I don't like. Like, and here's another. Like, last year to me, it felt like with A.J. Epinesa and this is just my personal opinion. I am not an expert and I don't try to pretend like I'm one either. This is just my personal feeling. Last year, the Bills got A.J. Epinesa in the second round and it felt like a steal. It felt like this was a guy last year that should have been a first rounder and he fell to the Bills in round two. I love that. This year, my instant reaction is I feel like Gregory Rizzo is a early to mid second round guy who the Bills, in my opinion, which hopefully will be wrong, that they reach for a little bit. Now, I'll tell you what I like. I like the fact that I hit on this earlier, some of the defensive ends who were gone. I like the fact that Aziz Adjulari and Jason Orr were there and Joe Tyron as well. I like the fact that Bean chose Rizzo over those guys. Like say if five or six of those ends, if there would have been a bigger run on ends and he would have took the fifth or sixth end and then he tries to spin it that that was his guy. It would have been harder to believe, but you take it for his word because I think Phillips and Pay. I don't think there was ever a doubt that they would be gone before 30. Turner was a little bit of a surprise, but for him to say that he was their top guy on the board when Ojalary and O.R. are there, I believe him. So I take him at his word for that for sure. And you kind of talked about this as well, that pass rush last year. Let's not forget, okay, even though the Bills were good, remember that Indy Colts playoff game where I was screaming at them to put some pressure on Phillip Rivers and it barely ever happened. It was a defensive turnover late in the game that sealed it, but it wasn't because of a, a pressure from on the quarterback. And then Mahomes, of course, he, you know, he was having his lunch back there in the pocket. So this always was going to be the priority. And I think maybe sometimes when we spend a lot of time talking about Travis Etienne or corners, maybe we, us and everyone else, overanalyze it a little bit. Well, and one of the best things you can do for your corners is generate some pass rush, right? Like that, that plays together and I'm not, you'll never get me to pick a side. Like what is more important pass rush corner. I don't, I don't know that there's a real answer. I think there's a lot of variables at play. I think it's whatever you're able to get and generate, but I think the idea is balance. And I think that's what Brandon Bean's trying to create here a little bit is some balance 
and getting more pass rush into the future and helping some of that defensive back play that they've had. We can't forget this is a top 10 DVOA defense a year ago. Like there was flaws to this defense. There's flaws to every defense, but this isn't some trash defense that we're running back uh, and, and that we're adding talent to here where we need, you know, this isn't a team that needs Greg Rousseau to come in and, you know, like you said, kick ass this year. It would be nice if that's the guy we got, but it's not a need. And so if you don't need it, this is something we talked about, right? Like this is why we were talking about taking Travis Etienne. This roster's so good. You can take these games. You can take these splashes. Yeah. And so if you're bought in on those traits, the length and this guy's, you can put some weight on this guy and move him around. You're bought in on that. Let's take him. We've got two to three years for before we need this prospect to really get on the field and, and give us the production that we're trying to generate from a 30th pick. Uh, so the bills are in the position to do it. And I think he's an interesting prospect to do that with. You know, as much as I love Brady Bede and admire the work he's done, I know this is blasphemy to ever criticize anything he ever does amongst Bills fans. But if I do have one concern about his team building abilities, I might say that it's the defensive line. You know, like last yeah. year, we signed three free agents and gave them all good money, Addison, Butler, and Jefferson. And that was a pretty mediocre unit last year. Yeah. Uh, and the guy that's been the best since... Bean's been here is Jerry Hughes, and he was here before Brian right. Bean got yeah. here. He's been the best lineman since we. Yeah, we, and I like AJ Epinesa, and I think patience is required with him, just like it's going to be with Rajel. But he's got a long way to go. A star yeah. Lotutale before the opt out, he's been adequate. I think he's sure, done he's his fine. job. He's been okay. He's been fine. He hasn't been a world beater, but he hasn't been a bum. Um, you know, I thought it was a bad decision last year, especially now in hindsight. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback now, but you know, keeping Trent Murphy. Instead yeah. of cutting him when you could have had $7.5 million for the cap this year, it kind of hurts. So, I don't know, man. I'm just... Harrison Phillips stepped up a little bit towards the end of the year last year, but he hasn't really solidified anything for me out of that pick. Right. So, I mean, if there's one area of this football team where I think maybe Randy Bean's work still has a little something left to be desired, it's defensive line. But, totally. I mean, what do you do? You got you to gotta keep getting players until you get it right. They say, take a quarterback every year until you find the right one. Well, you got to do that with the defense. And I do get the logic of it. And the money matters too, because I mean, you take a guy like Mario Addison, you know, you could take AJ Epinesa and Rizzo and Basham. You could add up all three of their salaries and they're making less money than Mario Addison's making this year. Right. You no, know? so that matters. it's a premium position. And that uh, Brandon Bean said it too. Uh, if you have the opportunity to get a premium position or other teams want to come up and get that premium position. That's the nice thing about a developmental prospect too. Now they got the fifth year option on this guy. That's a big time developmental prospect for him. So if it takes him two years to get on the field, then you got that third, fourth year. And if he's really it, then you get your extension worked out. But if you're still unsure, you have that fifth year option at play at a premium position. Uh, so that's some nice, uh, you know, controlled rent as they like to say. So I think it as weird as it felt in the moment, I think now that we kind of all take a step back and say, Hey, let's give these guys the benefit of the doubt. They've done a good job putting this team together so far and hope, like we said, Eric Washington can develop this guy and make it worth it. We, you know, in three years we can give this draft an A. I'm going to put you out of spot a little bit. So the bills yeah, are on the, the bills are on the clock at 30. You saw the first 29 picks played out. Who did you want to, uh, who did you want Roger Goodell to say? Uh, so we were at 30. I wanted, I think at the time I liked uh, away 
And I did like, um, it was him or Ojaleri for me. I wanted one of those. I didn't like Ojaleri at all. I'm trying to think at the time. I think uh, I was in on. <laughs> Neither did 32 teams in the first round. So yeah. you're not alone with that. Uh, but I did like Asante Samuel Jr. Yeah. Uh, early like that. Because we saw the run on corners. He was my next guy on that list right after Stokes and Fair, uh, Farley. Actually, I have Stokes behind Asante Samuel Jr. So I was ready to go for him in that first round. Um, Tevin Jenkins was a guy that somehow was still there that I really, was, I, I didn't think they were in on tackle, but if you were going to be this guy's big and nasty, they were in on tackle just a little bit later on, uh, Christian Barmore, who ended up going to the new England Patriots is a guy. I still liked interior defensive line. Another guy that kind of moved around the line. I, I never liked him in our mocks at 30, but the way this draft was going, I liked them there. Uh, and Elijah Moore, a name we heard sort of towards the bills, which I didn't love the idea of getting a receiver, but at that point in the draft, I said, well, Hey, if this guy's got some special traits and he's super shifty and maybe could be a kicker turn or something, whatever, let's do it. Um, I had all those things ahead of Russo. When I was draft night, I would was given out my like, Oh, okay, we're getting closer. Here's the guys I like. Here's the guys. Russo never came up once out of like 10 guys that I was listing. So I agree with you. I think he's an early second round guy that they got in the first but that's why nobody pays me for my draft grades. I was the same way with Jason Oa. And you know, it's funny and fitting and we'll find out over the next three years, but like quite literally, of course, that's the way it would play out. The bills take Gregory Rizzo. Jason Owa's literally next pick to Baltimore and Jim, uh, Joe Tyron goes two picks after to Tampa Bay. So there was defensive end. It was the right time to take one. Just time will tell if it's uh. If, if if it ends up being take the right one, one. but we I got, take two, baby Baltimore. I know Balt. And by the way, Baltimore, and this is what scares me about Jason Owa. Baltimore always seems to take good, good defensive players in the draft. So to me, oh, Jason yeah. Owa's a lock. Now I was worried about him being a bust. I'm not worried about it anymore because he's with Baltimore. Yeah. You know I think that's a good system. Go. I think it's a great place for him to be. I think it's a good fit. Uh, I think there's good players that he can learn from that organization just does things right. They, they just do. What was your instant reaction in round two with Carlos Basham? I mean, look, so by the way, so when they do the picks on, are you're on Twitter. Do you follow Twitter? Like, did you get tipped with the picks on Twitter or like when the bills are getting close, do you turn off your Twitter or not look at it? And like when you found out the picks, did you not know until you saw it on TV? Well, the first two nights, the bills actually, their bills picks didn't really leak very no. much on Twitter compared to other teams. Uh, we, we would get those picks from the TV. So I was, I was doing it all. I had Twitter up. I had the cover one Slack channel up where people were posting stuff there. And I had both ESPN and uh, NFL network uh, up, just kind of getting all the coverage I could to just be sit there and bathe in it. Since we worked <laughs> I, so com- hard. I so, completely yeah. walked away from everything, bro. I, I wanted to see it on Twitter and, and I, and not, or I mean on Facebook or on TV live. And not yeah. have any idea until it happened. But anyway, Carlos Basham, another defensive end, that shocked me. Shocked yeah. me. At the time, anyway, it shocked me. Like, what, what was your reaction to that? It shocked me. Um, and it's still weird to me, to be honest. This is a pick. I I like Boogie Basham enough. This me was too. a guy that if the, those worst case scenarios where the first round just falls real crappy to us and we couldn't get the edge there, or there's some major run on edge that this is a guy that, okay, in the early half, I'm willing to take him, but I really thought of him more as like a, maybe this guy can be 
a rotational developmental guy. This is a weird pick for me because he's he's been in college long enough to if he was real good, somebody would. I know they said he wanted to come back and and play with his team, but if he was good enough, somebody would have convinced him to go into the NFL and make some money. Like you don't stay in college usually for five years unless you're not convinced you're going to go early enough to make it worth it. Uh, if he was a first rounder at any point, somebody would have said, Hey, you know, go get your money now, even being a second rounder. So I don't know. I, I got to dig into him a little bit more. I don't know so much what the plan for Basham is. This doesn't feel like a long-term developmental pick, right? Like I don't know how much more. He's more plug and play early on. I think than Rizzo he is. is. He is more plug and play. There's some concerns though. Like he gets lost. Uh, when like teams are running plays at him and stuff, and he he doesn't know what hold to shoot at times, he he gets a little lost at times. So for a guy that's played as much football as he has, there's still some concerns that maybe he's not ready. But I think this the the pick is, you know, let's develop Rousseau, and I, we think that this guy can come in immediately. But it feels like Epinesa to me. It feels like the same type of guy that we just drafted a year ago. Um, and I I'm fine with redundancy, and I'm fine with numbers. It just felt weird at the time. There was other stuff. I Melifon was on the board. So was Elijah you know, Molden. Still, These are guys Elijah that we, Mold we spent a lot of time in our mock drafts discussing that second round pick. And yeah, Melifonu and Elijah Molden were both. And so was Wyatt Davis, which is another guy that we liked. Wyatt Davis and we spent a lot of Creed time. Humphrey was still on the board. Yep, he went two picks later uh, to the Chiefs. Yeah, so there was a lot of guys on the board at different positions. Which tells you, man, I mean, Brandon being really like serious him. about. I agree. Yeah. This, he, I think this pick of all of them to me said, when he said, hey, we're sticking to our board, I was like, yeah, I, you must have been. Because when I look at what happened behind that, th- these are guys that I thought would come in and have an impact. And these are guys that I thought the Bills would like. Uh, even uh, Benjamin St. Juice, the cornerback out of Minnesota, like he went after him looking through here. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of names here that I thought that the Bills would be in on once they got their edge. And so I, I do believe them that this was their board and how their board fell and that they they had a plan for them on the board and said, hey, why not? Let's get three of these guys in here between Epinesa, Rousseau, and, and now Boogie Basham. And these are going to be our, this is our future at this position. And we're going to rotate the three of them and give you some odd looks. It's weird to me. I'll be interested to see as we get into the summer where they really see him. Cause I don't see Rousseau having a lot of impact in 2021, but I'm interested to see where in the rotation, you know, if it's uh, third downs and they're kicking bash him inside. Like I, I think he could come in and get a significant amount for a rookie uh, amount of snaps early, which is not something that Sean McDermott's done a ton of. Right. Um, yeah. I, and we'll, I'll tell you what, in part two that drops Wednesday, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the current roster and how taking Rizzo and Basham back to back, how it affects the veterans that are there. But it was clearly a commitment at this point where Brandon Bean said, we need to get better with the pass rush, which kind of, uh, again, I mean, it remains to be seen how these guys develop. But my issue, and also with AJ Epinesa and both these rookies, is it seems these are kind of like guys who can play inside, outside, versatile guys, but where's the 12 sacks coming from, from any of these guys? You know what I mean? We'll, we'll see how it plays out. I, I don't know. I just, I like the position. I like the, the, the school of thought. I just don't know that I love either player. I do. I think I like Basham more than Rizzo, though. I like Basham in the second more than I like Rizzo in the first. That was my knee-jerk reaction. Round three, 
a tackle, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa. Big dude, man. Like 6'8", 311. Um, didn't play last year. The school didn't play. He didn't opt out the entire the school did not play last right. year. Right. And he had opportunities, I think, to go play at other places from one of the interviews I saw. And and he just I was a little wasn't it. I was a little politically correct with my takes on Twitter after the first two picks. I was straight up aggravated with this pick initially, early on, before I really took an opportunity to digest it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm like, we're talking about a team trying to get better right now. Like tackle is one of the strongest positions on this football team with Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams. You spent a lot of money to re or not a lot, but enough to resign Daryl Williams. Starter money. Good starter money. And going back to our mock drafts and discussions, yo, we just talked about Melifanu and Molden being there in round two. Well, guess what? They were both there in round three as well. 93 came around and both those guys were still on the board. Ben Cleveland was still on the board. Uh, Quinn Miranos was still on the board. Interior guys who we thought anyway, the Bills Sheldon, were much. Our guy Sheldon. Yeah, our guy was, yeah, he was still there too. He went in the fourth round. So these guys are there. Interior guys in corners that we liked a lot at positions that we think are thinner on the Bills and tackle. And they go with a tackle. I mean, what was your initial thought? I will say I, I came around and, and I'll tell you why. But before that, like, what was your thought on Spencer Brown? Yeah. So my initial thought was who the hell is Spencer Brown? Uh, yeah. Because I didn't do, <laughs> honestly, I didn't do really any work on tackle because what you talked about, again, I looked at Jenkins, some of the top guys that, hey, if the first round falls wonky, can we get a top 20 talent here and figure it out later? Always all for that. But I didn't look at this offensive tackle class as if they were going to go deep, but it does make sense. You're right. Like there, once I settled into it, looked at this kid and said, again, this is another spot where I don't need to see this player again for two to three years. But when I need him, hopefully he's developed to the point where we don't have to go out and free agency and pay a premium right tackle. That right tackle position is getting annoyingly more and more of a premium to find two of these guys. It's hard to find two large guys that can block out on the edges in the modern day NFL. Uh, so I totally understand bringing a guy in, especially a guy again with these freak physical traits. You talked about his height, weight. go look at his RAS card on uh, Twitter. And I'm not a big RAS guy. I don't think RAS relative athletic scores for anybody that doesn't know that those necessarily indicate any type of success at the NFL, but it is interesting to see how a guy that large, because you think of a guy like that, and it's like, this guy's not going to be able to hang with off a first step uh, being that big until he's going to be clunky. But the athletic card shows that that's not true. He is a, a very athletic guy, which makes for a more intriguing prospect, right? Like you've got the length, you've got the size, you've got some speed. Now you just got to get this guy filled out his frame a little bit and teach him the NFL game with NFL coaches and NFL players and hope that sticks. So in the third round, I think this is a, a really cool pick. I think this is one of the ones I'm more excited to see how it plays out and how this development plays out because it could be special, right? You have the freak traits for this to be really special if the development works along with it and if he takes to it. Uh, and if not, it's a third round pick. We've had a bunch of those bust out in the future. You don't need it to work. Um, it's not going to be some deep lost asset if it doesn't work. I think people will be pretty frustrated if Rousseau totally doesn't work out because it's a first rounder, but 
you can take a swing here uh, on big time potential of development. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm pretty excited about this one. Brandon Bean is operating and we see it. And if we didn't, we should have in a place of future cap years. There's no question about it anymore. First two picks, defensive ends. Not only are they a position that is a need to make the team better, but again, Hughes and Addison probably gone after this year. Two expensive guys. They're operating because we know that Josh Allen's going to be making north of $40 million very soon. Tremaine Edmonds is going to get paid. Stephon Diggs is getting a raise. Trey White's already one of the highest paid corners in the NFL. They got other, their safeties are well paid. Daryl Williams is well paid. Dawkins, they got a lot of guys who are making money right now. Milano. So you got to save money when you can. And this move, this move, this third round pick to me feels like it, it feels like good value because I'll tell you why. If Spencer Brown is going to do nothing this year, but maybe come next year over the course of this year, he could to develop into a starter. And if he can, or even a swing tackle, maybe he can be your backup solid swing tackle. That's a tough position to find too. We saw Ty Seki didn't get paid nothing to be here and do that role right. and barely play. Uh, Lee Adrian Waddle was brought in for that role and we never got to see him. But like, that's a hard position to find in the NFL. It's all these vets that are aging out and they're sort of kind of hanging on and being swing tackles. It'd be a lot better to have a young prospect at that position next year. Yeah, I think realistically, the realistic case is he could become the swing tackle. The best case is he could develop into a starter. And if he does, I was looking up cap numbers. And if the Bills, let's just say for the sake of discussion, by next year, he develops faster than we anticipate. And come 2022, he could be your starting right tackle. You could cut Darrell Williams and save $5.3 million. A little more realistic, I think, is two years down the road. The right. Bills could cut him and they could save over $7 million. So now you got a, a guy, a third-round pick, making, what, maybe a million and a half as opposed to $9 million or whatever Darrell Williams would make. So it, it makes financial sense. And again, third-round pick. If, if you could get a good, solid swing tackle in the third round, I think that's pretty good value. Now, what about the fifth pick? I do too. What about the fifth? Because, again, if that was surprising to you, if not annoying because we had guys that we liked personally that the Bills took a tackle, I get it, though, now. What about coming back with another tackle in the fifth? Not an interior guy, but another tackle. Like, what's your thoughts on that? That befuddled me. I thought that maybe... Brandon Bean was just trolling us a little bit at that point because I was a little frustrated. They went back-to-back edge, and then they go back-to-back tackle. But again, uh, you hit on the reasons why these positions are important in terms of the future, right? Uh, and I did hear, too, that Doyle, he can he has a little bit more versatility to swing inside, if I'm not mistaken. So Bills love that versatility. And, and you carry a number of offensive linemen on your team. And what happened last year when we had guys like Brian winners that we didn't want coming into play, even I know some people like the development of Ike Bakker and he is back. This isn't a guy that I'm super comfortable with. Like I want to improve that depth of that uh, group because one injury to John Feliciano or Cody Ford doesn't continue to work out or God forbid an injury happens to Deion Dawkins. Like it doesn't look pretty if one of those key cogs is out and I'm sh- league wide. It doesn't look pretty on offensive lines when key guys go out, but you want to limit that blow as much as possible. And right now the bills have had like a really weird uh, revolving door of some of these undrafted dudes, your Trey Adams, uh, some of these late round journeyman type guys that just, they're not quite talent that sticks to NFL rosters. They're big time developmental projects where you're getting these guys in the middle rounds, they're still developmental projects, but there's a little bit more clay 
to mold with these guys. And so I'm cool continuing to take these chances, especially with a guy that presents some versatility where he's not just uh tackle or whatever that he can play multiple positions on the line when you start to get into these rounds that's super valuable to me if you can pop around to positions because if you do pan out then there's a place for you on our game day roster if you can play plug in at guard in an injury issue or come and play a little bit of tackle like there's big value in the nfl in that so i like this after i calm down of brandon being trolling us a little bit that they're working on developing this depth and some versatility across both the lines of scrimmage. The game's won in the trenches. Those cliches are true for a reason. So invest in it. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that your boy's six foot eight, 320 pounds. Spencer Brown, six foot eight, Rizzo's six foot seven. They're building a, a big team, if nothing else. So again, knee jerk reactions versus rational decisions or, or thoughts after you calm down a little bit really are like night and day because yeah, good value there. And when the bills traded down from their fifth round pick, I was pissed off again. My knee jerk reaction was I was annoyed. I remember us talking on the podcast. We're like, let's get rid of both those fifths and move up and get a fourth. Now the bills moved back and got extra picks in a draft year where we thought, and the consensus was it wasn't a really uh, deep draft class. However, they had three. Well, picks we thought the- our, that the bills roster Right. It's probably too deep to take seven prospects and they walk away with eight. So what, what do we know? Right. And I'll tell you, here's the thing. The, the Bills had three six-round picks. On the surface, I liked them all. So they got Marquez Stevenson, a receiver, a, a small guy. He's like 5'10", 182. He's a burner. He's a, he's a fast guy. He's kind of, obviously, his role will be to try to unseat Isaiah McKenzie. By the way, he was a former college teammate at, uh, at Houston, Yvette Oliver, in case fans didn't know that, I found that out from uh, the Buffalo News. But anyway, so you got him, and then they took Tamar Hamlin, a safety from Pittsburgh. We were waiting Dane for safety. We, we were, yeah, yeah, from Pittsburgh. Um, and we talked about that on the podcast several weeks that safety's a sneaky knee. We called it a sneaky knee for quite a while. So good on Hamlin. I think that could be a good pick there. Where I think he's got an excellent chance to make the roster. And then their third uh, six-rounder, they got Rashad Wild Goose from a corner from Wisconsin, who doesn't have a big body of work. He only played two games last year. He had yeah, but an his, elite name. Yeah, elite name. He broke his scapula, which I had to look that shit up. It's a, yeah, Apparently, it's like too. your shoulder bone, and then he didn't play because of COVID concerns or, or protocols, whatever. He he opted out for the rest of the year. But the guy's got upside, and uh, I think he's got a legit chance to to make the roster. So, I mean, any of those picks in, in the sixth round, did they kind of stand out at you a little bit? I loved the sixth round. It was my favorite part of the draft for the battle. I, it was actually fun because I didn't do a lot of work on a lot of these guys. So this felt like a throwback draft to me as before get joining cover one and doing all this work that we do of taking the draft in as it comes and then kind of digging into these prospects here this weekend. And I'm a sucker for the fifth, sixth round guys. I am. These are guys that I always cling to and, and really like to watch their development. But out of this draft class, this, section this round made tons of sense to me like we we knew we needed uh that home run hitting speed right we i don't think that 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 was smokescreen the idea of getting that home run capability uh stevenson pops off the tape when you watch this guy's highlights uh i'm interested to go back and watch some of his tape to see how refined some of his route running is but what better room in the nfl can you think of for a guy with an elite trait like speed 
good size too for a guy with speed. This isn't John Ross coming in here that or uh, Marquise Goodwin. Like this is a guy that has a football body that is a burner. Uh, and then you put him in a room for a year with Chad Hall as your coach, Stephon Diggs, probably the best pure route runner in the NFL, one of the hardest working receivers in the NFL. Emmanuel Sanders, another fantastic route runner, one of the best professionals in the in the game. We've seen video clips of him mentoring guys. Cole Beasley. If I was Stevenson, I would get as many notebooks as I possibly could, and I would show up and just follow the three of those guys around and write down every single thing they do and just mimic them for the next two to three years and learn as much as you can absorb every bit of it. Cause he has some stuff in there that he could be a special wide receiver. If he can do all the things that a guy like Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley, these weren't Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs aren't first round prospects. That's a fifth rounder and an undrafted guy. So they know where he's at learn from these guys, man. And you, this is probably the best room for a really raw wide receiver prospect to walk into. There's no pressure on him to come in and perform over the next couple of years, but in a couple of years, wide receiver gets real scary because we've talked about on this show a bunch. Beasley's not going to be here in a few years. Probably he's probably going to retire. Manuel Sanders is, is got a foot out the door in terms of age and retirement. Like this is their last runs again, a sneaky knee that they need to keep filling that well with some talent I like that pick a lot. Hamlin, Hamlin is probably uh, my favorite pick right now um, of this draft. And the guy I'm probably most excited about, because I think he, this is a guy that can actually, I see a spot for him clear as day on this roster. Dean Marlowe's gone. I'm not a huge fan of Jaquan Johnson. There's going to be a bit of a competition there for, to see who gets that 2021 production, but I think he can step right in and be what they have at Jaquan Johnson, where he can come in and be the third safety I like his support in the run game. He's got some questions in coverage. It's not always pretty in coverage, uh, but he gets right in there in the run game. And that type of run support reminds me of a guy like Jordan Poyer and his ability to be a free safety that comes up and plays in the run. So uh, he's got that good size. I, I really like this kid a lot. It works for me. And uh, then where are we at? Wild, Wild Goose. Uh, again, take a chance on some upside. You missed out on corners early on. This guy's got some upside. If there's anything we know about both Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier is I think that they do a good job developing the cornerback position and even getting more out of guys towards the end of their careers and stuff like that. Leonard Johnson is a guy, right? They came in to Buffalo, just a journeyman guy. He played some great football in Buffalo, right? Like we've seen it. Uh, EJ Gaines is another guy. He played some really nice football in Buffalo and they got the most out of him. So if you take their success record with guys like that who are just kind of journeyman NFL guys and you put somebody in there with some good uh, traits that maybe in other years, because of the way the world went over the last couple of years, might be a better prospect, you can get them in and develop them. There's no rush for this to work out, right? Brandon Bean is pretty content to roll with Levi Dane and maybe that vet that we talked about and Taron Johnson. Like This was a good defense a year ago. They're willing to do that. Taron Johnson's contracts coming up. Like they have to find a replacement for nickel here soon. Uh, they're going to have to find a guy that can step into that cornerback two role soon. This guy has got some versatility to play safety nickel and on the outside, find out where he fits and, and find a home for him and continue to fill that well too. This, this part of the draft got me the most excited. This is where I'm really, you know, when we get off of this, but well, maybe not tonight, I'll probably go to bed tonight, but uh, this is where I'm looking the most to really, dig into who are these guys. Cause we also know 
Brandon Bean's done a pretty good job in like the fifth, sixth round. We've we got uh, Taron Johnson uh, was a guy in that round. I've liked the, the production of Sarah Neal on special teams. Uh, they, they've done pretty well in these areas of getting guys that come in and contribute. For sure. And I'll tell you, when you, when you talked about Wild Goose, it brought back a thought that I forgot to mention earlier. I do think maybe, so going back to round three with Spencer Brown, where we were still... How we were pounding the table for them in round two, Melifanu and Elijah Molden. The Bills pass on them in two and also three. Do you think that maybe when it got to round three, being decided that they like Dane Jackson enough and one year into a development that maybe they think at this at this part of the game, maybe Dane Jackson after a full year in the NFL is better, even a better prospect than the guys that they passed on in round three. Or do you just think that they said that right tackle is more of a premium position for us right now? And again, saving salary cap money down the road, maybe with Daryl Williams was more of a factor. That's tough. I think they, I'm having trouble questioning what Brandon Bean's saying, which is that he went by the board and that, that their board right. was the way it is. And maybe they graded some things because of uh how money plays out in the future and that's part of their board and their rankings and, and maybe they weigh certain positions in a certain way but i, I do think it the board played out and then maybe we fell in love with melifonu's length and all these things about his game maybe more than nfl prospects did i think that is true because of where he got picked and how many teams passed on him versus what twitter uh and you know myself thought where he was going to be so you never know. And Brown's another one of these guys. Uh, Spencer Brown's another one of those guys to kind of go back and touch on that. Like we're talking about here with Wild Goose that who knows where he's at if he plays another full season. Like this guy could have been a second round pick or third round pick in this draft. He didn't get another season. This might be one of those weird years where the Bills lucked out, got some guys later that if they would have played, maybe otherwise would have gone up in this draft and they wouldn't have had a try to get him. And that might be one of the benefits of one of the few benefits of a really weird COVID year where some of these prospects were available to you. If your scouts are good enough and could find these gems, they're, they're there. Uh, and because they didn't get any additional production, they fall right into your lap. And that might be the case here with a six round corner that I think from what I've seen, is on par with some of the guys that we were targeting in that second, third round. And I think maybe if he gets another full year of production in the big 10 against some of these top guys, you might, you might've seen him go, go higher. Last pick Jack Anderson, a guard. I mean, look, we don't really need to break him down. The seventh idea. round guy. Okay. Yeah. All right. He started as they were throwing yeah. his notes in the air right now at this point of a, of the podcast, I will mention he's, he started 38 games. They were all at right guard. I did read somewhere that he's capable of pivoting to the inside. If he does, great, fantastic, whatever. couple sure. of undrafted. I hope he works out. Yeah. yeah, for sure. A couple, you know, we say this now in passing and watch three years from now, the guy will be a pro bowler. We'll He'll like be the best is. pick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of undrafted free agent notables yeah. as of this tape. And Elijah Griffin, a corner from USC, who is Warren G's son. That's why I had to throw that out there. And Nick McLeod is a corner from Notre Dame that I actually kind of, I'm a big Notre Dame fan. So I watched them play decent players. So they, they got a couple guys from cornerbacks and they signed some other guys too that I'm not going to mention on this podcast at this time. But anyway, here's how I want to end this. There's four guys that were Pat and Aaron mock draft darlings. These were guys that we mocked in various bills drafts multiple times, at least two. And in some cases, three or even four times. And I kind of want to run through these four players 
and, and I'll tell you where they ended up going and get a quick thought on each one of them. Uh, Divine Diablo, who was in two of our last three mocks, we were getting him around the fifth round. Turns out that we were being, uh, we would have gotten him really lucky because he went to the Raiders in round three. Um, well, the Raiders are not an indicator of where a prospect should have been taken. They, they had some tough picks this <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, look, man, nobody's a bigger UB football fan than I am, and I was happy for Malcolm Koontz, but him going in the third round of the Raiders to me was very surprising. Obviously, Leatherwood going 17th overall Leatherwood, yeah, they was, had a, was a bit of a weekend. surprise as well. Um, a couple other guys. Uh, Ellison Smith, that's a defensive end that we had mocked multiple times. We had him going like in the fifth or sixth rounds in our mocks. He ended up going to the New York Giants in the fourth round. Um, and then the two guys who we mocked the most, these guys were mocked three times each. Tyler Shelvin, the defensive tackle from LSU. That was our, our third round pick in our first three mocks. He ended up going in the fourth round, which again, to a team that scares me, Baltimore. So you know he's not going to be a bust. You know he's going to be a good, well, he can't really be a bust in the fourth round, but you watch, he'll be a good player. <laughs> he goes to Baltimore. And then the last guy, our favorite wide receiver from Clemson, Cornell Powell. Four different times we mocked him out of six mock drafts. We had him going in the sixth or seventh round. He ended up going in the fifth to the defending AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Man, that feels like a really good fit for him, doesn't it? Yeah, that Powell fit. You know what that one feels like to me is uh, what they wanted Sammy Watkins to be, I think. Powell can be more of a possession type guy uh, can, can just get those easy receptions and get a little yards after catch. Like I think he's going to be a number three wide receiver as long as he's willing to play. Like he just pops off as one of those guys that's going to be consistent, open, productive, doesn't need a ton of catch. Like he doesn't ever need to be the guy, but is just reliable there for you all the time. And that there's such value in that in the NFL that I'm pretty pissed that he ended up at KC, to be honest, because uh, they had the issues with like Sammy makes their offense better, but they've had issues of him being reliable and consistent and all that stuff. And I think this fills the need of what they were trying to get out of Sammy uh, and does it on a rookie deal for a long time. All right, folks, that will do it for part one of our Buffalo Bills and NFL draft recap. Coming up tomorrow, uh, we'll discuss a few of our favorite drafts from around the league. We'll talk about the Buffalo Bills' current roster, the biggest winners and losers from this draft for the Bills. We're going to grade the Bills' draft, but not this draft because it's stupid to grade a draft after 72 hours. We're going to go back three years. I think that's a fair amount of time to grade a draft, so we'll go back to the 2018 draft. We'll grade that. We'll talk some Buffalo Bills big picture stuff. Much more coming up on tomorrow's show. Make sure you follow Aaron on Twitter at AaronQuinn716. Oh man, Aaron Quinn, Cover One Buffalo Podcast. Thanks as always. Love you, man. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.